This is the Growth Mindset Podcast with Ronald Hunt, where we take the research and writing of Carol Dweck and apply it to your life. We will break glass ceilings in education, government, and business through best practices. If you are ready to change your culture, we will show you how. Hey, it's Ron. Starting this Wednesday, we're teaching Jack Canfield's The Success Principles on Zoom. There will be a link in the information box in this podcast, and I'm looking forward for you to join us. There are two levels. There's a free level. That's it. We will teach you these, we'll teach you some of the principles for free. There's an upscale level where you get all sorts of goodies, including half an hour coaching and the book and a carbon fiber card case that you can put credit cards and coin into for $97. Can't beat this. So should I take this course? Well, if you want to be able to change the outcome of any event simply by changing your response to it, this course is for you. If you want to learn how to access personal and powerful mentors and friends who will open doors for you, this course is for you. If you want to know how to complete those past projects and heal relationship and hurts so you can embrace this future, this course is for you. And if you want to prepare and be instantly ready when opportunity comes knocking, this course is for you. Jack Canfield's brilliant, and I'm so honored to be asked to teach this course. I hope that you come with me on this journey. I'm Ron Hunt, and this is Art Ware, and today's uh, podcast is about uh, Carol Dweck again. We're talking about Chapter 5 of her fantastic book, Mindset. Yes. And the title of the chapter the title of the chapter is Mindset and Leadership. So I'll get started. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an accident that Carol thinks that both of these qualities, mindset and leadership, should be in the chapter title. Does mindset influence leadership, vice versa, or is it a continuum, Mark? Mindset influences leadership. Case open, case closed. All right, all right. So, so you're you're a hundred percent on the mindset yeah, side here. Absolutely. No, well, that's that's fantastic. Uh, Carol dives right into the Enron disaster, mm -hmm. and for for our younger <laughs> for our younger listeners, Enron was a company that was on top of the world about thirty years ago. Yeah. They could do no if if you think now Facebook, Google, Amazon. Your stock went up just like that. So uh, it's, it was a disaster, though. It was. It and, was. And, and that company had two fixed mindset gentlemen yeah. who were brilliant in their own ways, yeah. but they brought down that company. They were so fixated on honoring and worshiping talent that they created a false culture where all employees had to have the appearance of looking right all the time. Yes. This created a blind spot, many blind spots, mm -hmm. that will be taught about in business schools for all time. So we recognize this is one of the failures of the fixed mindset. Absolutely. When times are great, everything is roses. At the first sign of true trouble, though, everything unravels, and that was the case here. And we're talking about the, the two people. One was named uh, Skillet, I think was his name, and the other one was, uh, was Lay. Uh, uh, Kenneth Lay and Jeffrey Skilling. Skilling. Absolutely. 
So uh, Carol Dweck talks about another book, fa fantastic book. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell yes. wrote that one. Mm -hmm. And he broke it down for us. He says, they did not admit they were wrong, not to themselves, not to investors. They would sooner lie. In fact, Skilling still refuses to this day to admit any mistakes all these years later. And, and obviously, Lay has passed on. Yes. Uh, he, he died. Uh, but the, in, the, in the text here, she talks about Skilling and how the, the company started to fall apart. And he ended up purchasing, the, I guess, the pipeline of, of uh, Enron and, and was able to resurrect himself. But by and large, everything else is history. Exactly. So um, let's compare that to the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Collins wrote a, another great business book that some of you are aware of, and he paints it completely. I true. actually have it. Yeah, I From bet. Good to great. That's I, I meant to bring it today. Oh, that's it's an amazing, should, amazing book. The, I would encourage you, if you're listening, to get the book and put it on your shelf and make time to read it. Good to great by Jim Collins. And and the way the thing I love about that book is that it's written that no, no matter whether you're starting out or you're looking to advance in business management, this book is for you. Absolutely, absolutely. So his study reverse engineered 11 companies that outperformed the stock market by a large margin compared to all their competitors. Each company had to be tops for at least 15 years. So the number one indicator of success, their leaders were modest self-effacing people who constantly... Number one, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And they weren't fixated on talent. They weren't, you know, crazy about seeing themselves up in lights and, you know, and cultivating their fame. Say that again. You say that again. But <laughs> I think that's the point of this. Of this one, one of the major keys of this lesson. Uh, exactly. And, and it's such a stark comparison. You, we're, we'll, we'll talk about some of the leaders later in the episode yep, yep, yep. but I mean you, you can you can see it straight on if, if someone's humble and they actually ask questions and listen to mm -hmm, the answers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're going to end up succeeding correct correct so because I'm a member of a collaborative in the broadband world called the intelligent community forum one of the main values of the intelligent community forum is it brings together people from all over the world to understand what uh, smart cities are and what ideas are being deployed in healthcare and uh, what's happening in the communication space from all over the world. And because you bring the talent from all over the world or you bring the resources, it becomes a rich place for, to mine for ideas. And that's what you're doing here with a person that asks questions looks for answers and that you know in, in an honest and candid way you end up with a better product in the end if you don't take it personally if you don't correct correct if you don't take, take the personal part out of it if you, if you don't flinch when someone gives you bad news you can course correct that we, correct. we love that but, but if you're stuck on yourself you're going to stick on yourself and take the ship down when you go down yep the growth mindset allows allows us to keep the faith that we need to succeed in the exactly. end. Exactly. Exactly. And that brings up visualization. And Carol Dweck is not big on visualization, but we're going to talk about it right here. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's a really important variable and key to success. Um, if we can look at the goal 
we can start breaking it down into pieces and then take the pieces one at a time and make our adjustment. There are many roads to the top of the mountain. And that if we see the top of the mountain in our mind, it helps us get there. So uh, let, let, let's go back to Carol for just a second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So these leaders believed in human development, mm -hmm. including the right to fail. This is so important. This allows them to see the skills that they and their team will need to develop and, and learn to overcome the challenge and into the future. So the growth mindset allows for continual learning, regardless of past success or longevity. Mm -hmm. Just because you were up the, the top of the top of the chain ten years ago, doesn't mean you shouldn't start. You shouldn't stop learning new techniques and tricks. And that was a point. Another point in this, and, and we're we're saying these things uh, for people that might just now be tuning in to, to listen to us. Uh, so you can generate, you know, an interest and in perhaps go and get the book and read it for yourself. Because we're not hardly scratching the full surface here. We're just highlighting some really key points that we hope will spark interest in you to go and read the book. That's the whole point of why we're doing this together. This is, this is the amazing thing about podcasts. If, so, if you were searched business management this week, our podcast came up. And this is how you got into our world. You might want to go back. And look at some of our earlier episodes and mm -hmm. see how the growth mindset can affect other things in your life because it does affect everything in your life right. yeah, it does. but it's it's nice to have new new listeners and we're glad you're here and we're and, and ron and i are not perfect otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't need to be doing this reading this book and trying to consume this information and make these applications we're imperfect as well so we want to bring you along you know, uh, with two imperfect people trying to strive to, to improve. And the whole point of this, in, in a lot of the, what we'll said here, in successful companies, is they allow for improvement. The other thing I noticed, Ron, in terms of what she said, and I think we're probably going to get to this, is that the fixed mindset companies generally focus on the, the uh, they focus on, on, on talent, they focus on, you know, the, the, the prima donna, uh, of the CEO or of the of the famous people and but they never really paid any attention in Enron they never made any they never made you know shared the wealth with the people beneath you know the the ivory tower and the fancy you know rebuild of the you know what, what the 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 Waldorf Astoria facility that uh, Hayakoka had they never they they did all that stuff they never really shared it with the people so they were they were really the idea that people should grow and improve and put money into training and those kinds of things. And so that's the fixed mindset. In fact, th this is this is a good time to mention that I'm developing a corporate training course on the growth mindset. And all of these things are going to be covered there. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, you <laughs> uh, that's not the course we're going to talk about later, though. Yeah, but we, we you know, we, we've got to try to cover as much of the waterfront as we can. Sure. Without going too off, too far off. No. Nope. Go ahead. You're, 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 you're we're, 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 we're right back. We're yep. right back. So the growth mindset allows for continual learning, regardless of past sex success, mm -hmm. as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Because they are not worried about measuring or protecting fixed abilities, they can look at their own mistakes, use the feedback, and adjust course. Everyone becomes more productive that way, okay. while maintaining confidence. All right, I'm going to throw this out there. Mm -hmm. Are some people brighter than others? 
Uh, I would say probably. Does this always correlate with maximum success? I say most definitely not. <laughs> uh, I would agree. I think Carol Dweck would agree as well. So if, if you guys can wrap your minds around that concept right there, that the brightest person doesn't always win. That, that's that is not about winning. That's the thing. You know, we, we use a lot we use a lot of terms here that, we're, we're, that people are used to hearing, but it's not about winning. It's about it's, it's about so many other things that that go into that ingredient. This, uh, that this week we're talking to a business audience. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of like a binary switch to some of these people and we will get them over to that growth mindset arc. Right. But, you know, it's either on or it's off. You're either win or you lose. But that's not the way you need to look at it. So, the, the, who was it? Was it was it Skilling that you know boiled everything down? I'm trying to remember who it was. Boiled everything down to dollars and cents as opposed to you know some of the other criteria that you know he claimed were not um, quantifiable. Exactly. It, it it it's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. So here's another problem with having a fixed mindset leader. They've taken all the credit none of the blame right and have ignored so many nagging problems and failures that even after they leave the company will sink further almost mm -hmm. by design mm -hmm. oh that, that was another point that was made in the fixed mindset is that they always made sure that when that when they left the company uh would, would suffer you know sometimes the company would, would go down as a result of that i remember you know i, I I've created five or six programs in the job that I'm in, and I've heard people say to me, well, Art, when you leave, I guess that, that program's going to go away. I says, how a professional, how could you say something like that? Exactly. I'm putting stuff in place that I want to last beyond me. So that's a fixed mindset, and the person that was talking to me had a fixed mindset. When, whenever I was in a leadership position, I always identified members who could do my job and mentor them. Because there are times I moved out of organizations where, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. what, and I wanted to make sure that they would have that consistency going forward. Right. So don't be the genius and call all of your team helpers. Yeah. Honor your employees and do everything you can to make them great co-leaders. And I know we're talking about your favorite guy right now. We're going to talk about Lee Iacocca. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's, he's my favorite guy until I start reading all this stuff about him well, in, he, in this book. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about that because some of these guys have been built up um, on a mountain. Yeah, but, well, he did most of it himself. Right? With the whole, you know, uh, thing about the, the having a, a, a suite in, in the world office story is all about. You okay. know, you had to maintain a certain, the trappings of fame. Absolutely. He felt he felt that he could fake it until he made it. And even after he was losing it, he kept he kept all the traffic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So classic fixed mindset leader and unfortunately an example for future generations of CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. He almost destroyed Chrysler twice. He got bailed out by the taxpayers the first time. Right. And then sold at a wild discount to Fiat the second time. Well, he, well, he didn't, he, didn't he, because he was he was being, I guess, pushed out. Didn't he try to take, you know, uh, through through like a T Boone Pickens kind of a mentality and come in and, you know, uh, take over so he could get regain control, and it didn't work. 
Right. He tried. He tried through that fixed mindset. Yep. He 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 thought in his, in his mind that he could he could still turn turn the ship around all mm-hmm. by himself, yep. even though it was it was it was way past the Titanic at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So follow me here because he was hailed by Wall Street and the financial press as a genius. Mm. He was another one of these guys who wrote his own copy and then read his, read his own copy. And we thought, you know, we, we saw that this morning. It's like, wow, some of those words, uh, that's pretty impressive right there, right? So follow me here. Okay. So he actually became the role model of what a CEO should be to them. And to others, but not to you, our loyal listeners. All those in his model have continued to fail and underperform. More concerned about personal credit than the company's performance. They were considered superheroes, Mm -hmm. if you can believe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The next generation of fixed mindset leaders included Jeffrey Levin and Steve Case of AOL Time Warner. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable stories. Yes. Albert Dunlap of Scott Paper, mm-hmm. uh, known as Carving Al, for for his ability to lay off people and lose money. Right, right. And of course, the Dream Team. I, I think he was the one that that had the, the dollars and cents, and nothing else really mattered. It was it was uh, it was it was Dunlap. I think it was. What What have you done for me today? Instead of what are you going to do for the company over time? Yeah. It, and it, we, we see it all the time now where people are managing to, to try to get to next quarter's expectations instead of where they can visualize themselves and the company being a year, five years from now, which is the better approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all felt smarter and luckier than their competition. This is a key point here. It's the wrong mindset. Yeah. I Coco considered himself either smarter than everybody and as my as my as my father would say, his shit didn't sink according to him. And so as a result of that, he thought he was lucky, uh, and he had better luck than everybody else as well. And I I, I used one of my uh, corporate upbringings was on Wall Street, and uh, one of the things that I learned early in my Wall Street years is that you do not try to guess uh, and outplay. The market because you'll lose every time the market you can never predict what's going to happen in the market and as, as a result of that if you don't realize that that from realize it from that dis, from that disposition then you're going to be headed in the wrong direction and headed for trouble and and, and as a result you see the the fate of complete happens here well let's 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 look at what did happen at chrysler for just a second when they were having trouble back in the 70s some of the designers came up with some new and really better models, mm-hmm. but he didn't come up with them, so he didn't approve them. He even fired some of these but, people. Yeah, he, he asked them. Yes, yes. In, in, it's mindset. In in another study, they spent millions and millions of dollars buying Hondas, taking them apart, figuring out what what the Japanese were doing, and they came up with a plan to actually improve their cars, better than the Japanese. And all they heard back from the Iacocca? Crickets. Not a word. It's you, you know, it reminds me of another fixed, fixed mindset and growth mindset person at the same time. You remember Al Davis? Yes. They said he would he would jeopardize the success of the team to get to get even with somebody. 
Right. And that's what you see happening here. Exactly. So instead of pivoting, Lee Iacocca demanded tariffs and quotas from the government instead of competing. King Iacocca did not cut back on his lavish company-paid nope. lifestyle. Nope. He just laid off workers and cut their pay and benefits. Yep. And even when they had a little success later on, he never gave them their payback. He never gave them any credit at all. So it's funny, Art. Mm -hmm. If one of our students fails a test or loses a game, almost everybody, including themselves, holds them accountable. Somebody, some accountability got to be somewhere. Not so with our CEOs. They live large with little repercussion until the shareholders eventually ease them out with golden parachutes. Mm -hmm. Dweck calls it CEO disease, and I would have to CEO agree. Disease. <laughs> so I would hope that everyone's ready for the good news. Yes, yes. Let's get to let's get the growth mindset and get some re re uh, calibration thinking here. All right, the growth mindset's going to win, isn't it? It's growth mindset is a winner. <laughs> so success, better working conditions, endless possibilities, mm -hmm. the ability to innovate. Innovate and execute. Mm -hmm. Jack Welch, Lou Gertzner, and Anne Mulcahy are all prime examples who led companies from trouble to success. Their skill sets? Visualizing goals, investing in honoring employees, creating unstoppable growth engines for their companies. They don't talk royalty. They talk journey. Mm -hmm. An inclusive learning-filled, rollicking journey. I'll ask you, Art, where would you prefer to work? Well, I, I, I think uh, if I keep working with you and we keep going through this book, I think I could take one of those fixed mindset places over and make them into a growth mindset and prefer to work there. But for now, I want to be in a fixed mindset environment. Isn't that something? And I come from a fixed mindset environment, I, and that's why I do what I do now. Exactly. So when Jack Welch started at GE, he would sit down and have lunch with the workers, not just to be a friendly boss but a good boss to actually learn what the challenges were on the floor. Mm -hmm. So in his own words, nearly everything that I've accomplished is because of other people. It's about the only time you'll ever hear the word I out of his mouth. Mm. You'll hear the word you or your or our a lot. So it's, um, it's because of other people that he succeeded. And he was not always able to keep the growth mindset intact. Again, we're talking about the continuum, growth to mm -hmm, fixed. Mm -hmm. Because whether he read too many articles or he was being lauded elsewhere, and when that happened, he had some setbacks. He bought some businesses that he did not understand. And he also had a little bit of that uh, famous, you know, needing to be famous and propping up his, his fame in, in, in places that he should have been probably focused on, on, on GE. And he also, uh, there was also some family issues during that time, too. I, th I think there might be some, rela some re relativity there, huh? Yeah, we had some relationship challenges and yeah, so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that we all have to deal with. Remember, one of the things we talked about this morning on our radio broadcast, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it. And so, and obviously, the growth mindset responds in a certain way, while a fixed mindset responds in another kind of way. So he was humble enough to actually take a step backwards, though. He asked others for advice, mm -hmm. they told him, and he accepted it. Mm. And he realized that he had crossed the line from self-confidence to hubris. 
Can you imagine a, a, a fixed mindset guy getting criticism like that and doing anything about it? So, all so the ones that we talked about earlier, you know, the 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 shillings, the lays, the you know, the the the, the uh, various ones uh, in AOL and Time Warner. And as a matter of fact, in in AOL Time Warner. It was said that uh, Richard Parsons sent somebody down to try and figure out what was what needed to be fixed. Right. And that person was highly frustrated. Oh. So, so it, it makes. They had it, two. They had two amazing companies. AOL was on top of their game. They were the Google of their time, and Time Warner owned all a third of all the media in the in the in the world, and they brought them together, and they failed miserably. And right now, Time uh, uh, the the Time Warner as in Charter, they're broke. Everybody still, you know, recognizes that they're they're broke and, and uh, you know don't have sufficient cash to 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 grow the company and to do the things that they really need to do in order to fully service the constituency that needs to service. So Jack Welch listened to the criticism, took it to heart, incorporated the changes, and got back on track. He and GE were ready to grow again. He hired people who were filled with passion and a desire to get things done. His message, this company is about growth and not self-importance. Mm -hmm. He shut down elitism as his first mission. Mm -hmm. He cut out a whole layer of do-nothing, self-congratulating management with suites at the Plaza Hotel. Mm. The workers noticed. He rewarded teams, not their managers. He totally bought in. So let's move on to IBM. I worked at IBM. They offered me a job after college. They were on the way down. It, I, if I go back, it was a long time ago, but they, they lost over 100 points of their stock price in one day, about a year after I decided not to work for them. Mm. And there's a story behind that I'll tell you another day. So they brought in this guy, Lou Gertzner. Lou Gertzner from where was he? Where was he from? Uh, uh, was he? Uh, he, was, he was from McKinsey or one of those. Big, and big American Express. Yep. He, he, yep. He he ran some big companies. Yeah. He did not want the job. He turned it down several times. In fact, the story goes that uh, the board of directors got uh, President Carter to call him directly and ask him to run IBM. So he finally decides to run IBM. The first thing he did was dismantle the highest level that reported to him, the management committee. Mm. Again, do nothing, self-serving people mm -hmm. who were resting on their laurels and watching the, 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 company, the company drain the toilet. Mm -hmm. So the work, again, imagine this, the, the workers noticed. No longer were great ideas going to be blocked by fixed mindset executives mm. only concerned with their personal accolades. Mm -hmm. Gerstner saw the backlog of great ideas never implemented and declared that genius was not enough. We need to get the job done. Mm -hmm. IBM had taken them for granted for decades, telling the customer what to buy, not asking what they needed. Mm. And this, this was when they made the, the switch to, so remember you had to buy, at one time you had to buy all IBM, uh, you know, uh, equipment and, and, and technology. Otherwise, they'd walk away from you. And GE went through that too. You had to buy all GE and they walk away from you. And then, you know, GE Capital came in and next thing you know, GE Capital was financing Siemens. They were financing, 
you know, Shimatsu uh, and next thing you know, in IBM world, they were like, you know, pulling, you know, bits and pieces of better operating systems and, and, and equipment in order to build something that was better and that could be offered holistically through, through, through IBM. So that, that's that growth mindset you see starting to take, take hold. One, one, one funny IBM story, and we'll come right back. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have to make a lot of copies at IBM when I was doing accounting for them. Three sets. And every time I would go to the copier, there were two on each floor. It would be broken almost every time. So you'd go to the other copier, and then you'd go down a floor, up a floor. And I would, I thought, you know, I wasn't there that long, and I, I said to my boss, I said, the copies are always down. It's, you know, it's a problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I didn't have any filter back in those days. So he, he's going, yeah, we know. But they were IBM copiers. They didn't, they would not use the better copier from another company. They, and they would force other companies to buy these copiers to get their computers. So what sort of impression did that leave with, with, uh, with their customers over time? So, you know, it was, apparently they start dropping away from them like flies. So apparently, you know, and that, that's what, where, where, where they had to do some stuff correcting. And here's the thing. When you walk into a situation like that, it takes time to turn it around. And during those first two years that he was the CEO, whenever there is an article in the Wall Street Journal, there's always that this guy's a bum because he because he couldn't turn the Titanic around in 30 days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and the people that he fired from the, that executive board, they were all trash talking him in the press. Right. So right. Uh, we're going to talk about um, where Anne Mulcahy took over at Xerox in 2000. They had gotten to the point where nobody was buying their copy machines for the same reason. They were horrible. Exactly. They were on top of the world. They owned the copier business, and they stopped taking care of the customers and their machines. You know, one, one point I want to make before I forget is this idea of the fixed mindset and, and blame shifting. Uh, and I wrote down a whole bunch of scriptures. I'm just going to read a few of them because I think there are people listening that have faith and want to go and look be look behind some of the things we're talking about from a faith perspective. And these are these are scriptures that either have uh, blame shifting as part of their uh, theme, or you know the the conduct uh, and character of of of, uh, of thinking uh, in the right manner. And beyond blame shifting. So Romans 2, 2 1, Romans 2 5, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, Matthew, um, James 1 14, Psalms 32, 3 and 4, Proverbs 28 13, Job 31 33, Galatians 6 and 7, Galatians 6 and 5, uh, Proverbs 9 and 12 are just a few uh, places you can go. And because blame shifting is huge uh, amongst the fixed mindset, and you don't see it as much when there's the growth mindset and the idea of, okay, that was wrong, let's fix and improve and, and move ahead in a, in a better way. Event plus response equals opportunity. And that's what the Bible teaches us, and that's what I'll teach you starting mm -hmm. Wednesday as well. Okay. Yeah. 
So, um, Anne Mulcahy had to go back into learning mode to learn the skill sets that she needed everyone in the company to learn as well as herself. Mm -hmm. She had to tell the whole, the cold hard truth to the workers. She actually did a lot of the firing herself. How's that for responsibility? Oh, and she said she was sorry. Then she would make sure she spent time with the remaining employees, reassuring and encouraging them so that they wouldn't jump ship and be discouraged. Or, or get confused or get the wrong message, you know, uh, and, and become confused and, and bail out for the wrong reason. Took two years. She opened Time magazine one day about those two years later and, and read an article that called her the worst CEO of all time. Mm, mm. Xerox had its best quarter two months later. <laughs> so not only did Xerox survive, it thrived. So all of these CEOs had confidence that things would improve, and they also had passion. They had and expressed gratitude for where they were. Now, in contrast to the fixed mindset, whose leaders were consumed by bitterness. Yes. So let's talk about a couple studies quick. Mm -hmm. Robert Wood devised an interesting study. He created 30 management groups with three members each. He tested the 90 people and divided the groups up between all growth mindset and all fixed mindset mm -hmm. members. Mm -hmm. So the short version, the fixed mindset believed either you had it or you didn't. The other thought that skills could grow with experience. Mm -hmm. They were both given the exact same situation and challenges. Growth mindset groups not only solved the problems, but built on them. That's 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 the whole that's the whole key here. Is not only did they solve the problem, but they found a better problem to solve. Right. The right. fixed mindset executives never got close to finishing their goals. Well, we got to be mindful of time here. We're about forty-two or forty-three. I've got I've got this. thirty-two minutes in. Is it 32? Okay, 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 okay. Let's talk about millennials for just a minute. Yes, right. <laughs> because they're our future and we, we need to honor them if we can. So Carol likes to call them the praise generation. How are they going to fit in? It's been a rough go on both sides of that equation. Companies have gotten to the point where it's not the employee of the month anymore, but the employee of the meeting. She suggested instead of praising them every time they answer an email, we start complimenting the process they're working on, for taking initiative, for seeing a difficult task through, for being undaunted by a setback, even for being open to criticism. If we don't start now, where is that next generation of leaders going to come from? So let's talk about the art of compromise, another famous study where Laura so before you go into that, I got okay. a point of two I want to make with regard to this new millennial generation. Uh, remember, I told you I don't know if you, if I, I I'm sure I talked to you about uh, John O'Donnell. He's the person that wrote this book called Distributed Teams. Right. Um, anyway, um, the idea of going to a place and working, and especially in this COVID, you know, uh, nineteen environment is going to become less and less and the millennial generation is going to is going to change drastically in their willingness uh and to, to work and where where they work and as a result of that uh, many of them do not want even before the coronavirus 
environment that we're in, they won't, they won't take a job uh, or an organization, go into an organization where they've got to get up, commute to work, nine to five, five days a week. They, they just won't take a job because technology is such that they feel they can work at home and do the do and be as productive or, or more productive at home, and then on, on top of that, do more work-life balance as a result of it. That's the kind of you know mentality we're dealing with, and what she's talking about here uh, in this group of young people, and their response and their attachment to organizations. Uh, and so, so uh, I think that's something that's worth worth noting, and, and, and a huge difference between my generation, you know, our generation. <laughs> it's definitely our generation, Art. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I agree totally, and the concept of team learning and team collaboration is such a 21st century skill, and it we will have to do some of it virtually. Obviously, we're doing it now. Yeah, of course. Sure. But, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is a key thing in terms of interpersonal relationships. This is also suffering amongst the millennials because they can be so closed into the little circle of one. And this whole idea of like co-work spaces and all that, when people, you know, people are working at home, but they also want to be able to go someplace in their community to do the things that they can't do at home without having to go 20 miles or 50 miles or a you know, three-hour train ride into a city someplace. They want to be able to go down the street and do their video conferencing that they can't do at home or their 3D printing or whatever the case might be. Quantum computing, if they got to do something, some major calculation that they can't do on their own computer. I've, I've seen the studies, and if you go to a co-working space every day, you're actually 30% more productive than if you work at home. So, you are to write, we are getting late. Yep. If you want my course on uh, changing your business culture from fixed to growth, uh, please look in the uh, information box under these episodes. But we're going to get to the questions real quick. Yes. Let's, let's go to questions. Yes, yes, yes. So do you have a fixed mindset or growth mindset workplace? Mine is fixed. Mine was fixed for 35 still, years. My, and, and there's probably no hope for it. My, my organization is a fixed organization. Uh, as is my wife's. Uh, and we need, we need to think about the future generations. And you can actually get to choose a little bit by being a growth mindset person and changing things as you move up in your organization. You know, and the thing about this that we talked that one one of the things that it talked about here was, uh, you know, organizations that promote and organizations that provide, you know, enrichment kinds of things. Those are the things that I see missing in my organization. Certain people get them, but for the most part, you know, the stimulation that comes from it and the unleashing of creativity and innovation that comes from that. It, 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 can be, it can be difficult to find in, in an organization like mine. Absolutely. Uh, been there, done that. So one more book for all of you. Um, Gertzner wrote a book that uh, is called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? Yes. And that will yes. show you how to turn your fixed mindset company into a growth mindset company. I plan to get that. I don't have that, and I plan to get that. So. It's fantastic. It's yes. available on Audible. Help yourselves, guys. So what... What, we do, what happens in the fixed mindset uh, workplace? It can it can promote groupthink. What what? Get, uh, I wish I, could, I had more time to talk about groupthink here tonight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we might revisit yeah, that there's next a, there's week. There's a term called swarm swarm intelligence. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Yes. That's where you know if you like uh, 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 you know uh, birds fly in kind of a a group 
and they can do things together in that group they never could do alone. Right. You know, you know, so so animals have that swarm, you know, that where there's there's kind of a division of tasks and duties and so forth. Together they're strong as a which is what you're talking about. And uh, that's also been referred to as the hive mentality. Mm -hmm. So the last thing that we'd like you to remember today is that people can be independent thinkers and team players at the same time. Sure. And you as their manager or you as their eventual manager can help them fill both roles. Wow. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That, that was, I'm Artware and... This is Roland Hunt. This is the Growth Mindset uh, Guru Podcast. All right. All right. This is number five.